0: Good morning, everyone. Alon Letia from Panda. Uh, We're here at Pressure Point, where I've got a guest, Sangeeta Supersad, who's got an illustrious career across multiple firms in professional and financial services. And we are here to speak about her special spark that I think she brings to all the organizations that she works with. I'm really excited for this conversation. So yeah, thanks so much for being with us.
1: And good morning. And thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure for me to be here and really more than a pleasure, a privilege uh, to be afforded the opportunity to speak to all of your followers around a topic I'm very passionate about. So thank you for the invite.
0: Awesome. Well, I think the the privilege is ours. Um, when we were chatting earlier, you, you mentioned a quote to me and I just I loved it, and I think it sets a tone for what we're going to speak about today. So, do you mind sharing that?
1: Sure. Uh, It's one of my favorite quotes by Alvin Toffler. And if uh, people don't know, Alvin Toffler was actually a futurist. Uh, He was born in 1916 or so, somewhere around there. Funnily enough, I sort of looked at the word futurist and then when he was born. And the quote that resonates with me is that the illiterate of the 21st century are not going to be those who cannot read and write, but those that cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And that, if I look at my entire career and what I love doing, which is rather generalist by nature, learning is something that I'm extremely passionate about.
0: Yeah, look, I, I love that. And I think in the, the world that we live in today, yeah. that rings truer than ever. And I mean, what foresight for that to be said, you know, all that time ago. In
1: the early 1900s. Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: Uh, but yeah, maybe let's start with more from a personal perspective, yeah. and then we'll, we'll talk about how you bring that culture to the organizations that you work with, that the people yeah. that you impact uh, in your day-to-day. But, you know, how do you apply that? Because I think if you're not yeah. applying that for yourself, Mm. you're not gonna be able to drive that culture elsewhere.
1: I often look at myself as somebody that has to lead by example. So if I look at my own career and my own studies, I'd like to take you a little bit on a journey in terms of where I've started to where I've got to, but not from a position perspective, but from a learning perspective, which is important. I started uh, doing a social science degree, majoring in industrial psychology and law. I then went on to become a lawyer because, as I was stating earlier, every Indian family needs to have a doctor, lawyer, (laughs) accountant, and uh, engineer. And I did not love figures and maths, and so I opted to become a lawyer, but largely because I was exposed to legal series on TV, like (laughs) Private Practice, LA Law, and then my best, which was Ali McBeal. (laughs) I absolutely resonated with her, I think a lot because we had the same attitude, we had the same build, and we were just very direct and forthright, and I could see myself being Ali McBeal. I wanted to present my case to a jury, and I just could see myself doing a closing argument and walking away <laughs> and sitting it, <laughs> it and sitting down. That was me. That's what I could see for myself. And uh, that's how I thought my legal career was going to be in South Africa. My parents couldn't afford to send me to the U.S. at the time, and they certainly were not in the movie of sending their eldest-born daughter and only daughter to a foreign country which they had no control over at that point in time. So be that as it may, as I ventured deeper into my LLB and learning about the South African judiciary, I realized I'm not going to be Ali well, appeal, And I'm not going seems. to present to a jury. In fact, there is no jury. And I think that's when my dreams were somewhat thwarted around being a lawyer in South Africa. Uh, I be that as it may, I completed that degree because I also don't like to leave things unfinished and uh, progressed to move into HR. Uh, what I didn't tell you earlier in our conversation is that I actually studied an A-plus qualification. Okay. So I'm a computer technician as well. Oh wow. So okay. in that crux when we sort of came out 2002-2003 when MCSC and A+ was key because you know technology was going to take over the world, I convinced my parents that I needed to become a techie and that I was going to become a millionaire very quickly. <laughs> well, that didn't happen either, but I do have that qualification. But what resonated with me at the time was how interesting the human mind is or the human brain is to pivot and to burn new neural pathways, which is a tongue twister, Yeah. if you wanted to. So, I mean, imagine going from reading law books upon law books yeah, and cases upon. and <laughs> writing exams and thesis, et cetera, to learning to deconstruct a computer, a desktop, and then build it again, but learning a whole lot of lingo. And those exams you needed to pass with an over 80% average because those were American exams. So I thought if a young 22 year old Indian girl from the class can do it. Then we can do anything we set our minds to. So off I came to Johannesburg, I left the family behind after convincing them and getting a job at the Red Bank, which was really pivotal for my career. I did a short stint in a law firm, confirmed for me again that I'm not going to be Ali McBeal. But I also realized through that, that a degree is good enough just to get you into the door. So is a diploma and actually so is a matric right? It can get you into it, or it can get you a foot into something, but it's never going to carry you through to retirement. Yeah. And more often than not, we are programmed to think that a qualification, when you get it in your 20s, is going to be the qualification that gets you to retirement. So when that penny dropped for me, I realized that I need to pivot what I'm doing all of the time. So I did a digital business qualification with MIT Sloan. I've done an executive program with London Business School. So it's always this quest to learn, unlearn, and relearn new skills. And that's how I lead by example. And that's why I'm so confident talking to people about making sure that your kit of parts in your career is relevant to where you are today and where you want to be in five years from now.
0: Well, look, so much there I think that I, I just want to pick up on before we move on. I think, you know, if I, I kind of look at computers, look at, yes. you know, law, like what do they have in common? But if like hearing you speak, I think it comes to that first principles thinking, yeah. right? Breaking down a problem into its simplest parts yes. and then using that approach to to solve whatever it is that you're dealing with, because if you can't take it back to the parts of the computer that you yes. explained how you're going to put it all together exactly so i really love that and i think that the next piece is that investment in yourself yeah and prioritizing time to invest in yourself and develop yourself um so maybe before we pivot to the organization yes clearly you've spent a lot of time thinking about your own career correct um how do you think about your own career how do you think others should think about their own career mm. from a development perspective how do you make time for all this learning which quickly which clearly you prioritize despite your multiple kind of responsibilities (laughs) outside of that
1: uh, just to note uh, in between all of the learning and all of the jobs that I've had I've also had three kids yeah. uh, my eldest being 15 so interesting I also have to upskill myself about raising a teenager in uh, today's day and age because a teenager today is not the teenager I was in uh, you know a few years ago actually it's a long time ago <laughs> but uh, you know it's very different so you're not only upskilling on technical competence you also have to upskill on the soft competence often which is lacking in many organizations today. Uh, I was addressing our winter school grads a few weeks ago that had joined us for a week or so. And I made sure as part of their upskilling that we introduced them to soft skills, things like conflict resolution, negotiation skills, presentation skills, how do you speak, how do you sit. Those are life skills that we've actually forgotten to teach people. And more often than not, we think they are Uh, raised with those skills and that's not the case because our cultures and our backgrounds are completely different. But back to your question because I digress. How do I keep myself relevant? I read a lot and for me it's not all about what I can get in a textbook, it's what I can get online, uh, what I can get on YouTube, uh, what I can get from you sitting with you today and you've taught me so much. Uh, For me life is all about on-the-job experiences and learning and we must never ever take away from that because the importance of transferring skills from one person to the next unfortunately doesn't happen via textbook the textbook gives you a theory and more often than not that theory is outdated if it is not updated regularly so for me multiple platforms I use books I use online but most of all I also use and leverage of people that I know in my network and I seek new experiences not just locally but globally as well and the contacts that you make are so important because Even five or six years from now, you can call somebody and say, hey, I know you were doing that. Where are you at? Can you share some knowledge? Because this is where I find myself uh, and I would like to leverage off that. So it's important that we make sure that we have multiple databases that we can tap into. How I instill that in organizations that I work, I'd like to tell you an interesting story. I, um, if I look at things that I've done in my career, unfortunately, part of that, it's not all good part of it is that we have to run restructuring in big organizations because the organization needs a refresh on skills, on expertise, on capabilities, on bringing in different generations, different thought processes, et cetera. But it brings me back to the section 189 process that you need to run, which has to be done in such a humane, empathetic and with love process, right? And often we don't hear those words with love in an organization. And more often than not, people kept asking me, you know, what have you done to give me the skills? And at first I was very defensive about this thing. I would say, but what have you done for yourself? Why are you looking at the organization to give you the skills? Why didn't you upskill and reskill yourself? And about two years ago when I was running this process, I think, you know, for the hundredth time or so, the penny dropped for me in that people actually don't know how to upskill and reskill themselves they don't know where to start because they're in the organization. They do a job from eight to five, they run their families, and they don't think about learning. They rely on sponsorships to take them forward. They hope that somebody has their back and is their voice in the boardroom when they're not there. And that's when I embarked on something really big at my previous employer. And I I started a program called Curate Your Career. And what Curate Your Career did was we embarked on a company-wide skills assessment. Of course, that also brought with it anxiety because people naturally assumed that, you know, we're going to cut jobs if they didn't have the skills. But the point of the program was to give you skills, not just skills of today, but skills that you're going to need in three years from now and five years from now. And it's also not just telling you what you need to do, but here's a learning path that's linked to you that's gonna show you what what you need to do on an online learning platform. So you can do that at your own time on any device and whatever suits you. And I often use this example and it's really crazy. You could be, you know, in the bathroom, you could do five minutes of learning, right? As opposed to sitting on TikTok, right? It's just how you change your mindset to pivot and say, how am I going to do this differently? And think about yourself the moment yeah, so
0: there's a lot I want to recap there I think yeah. I mean uh, if there's one takeaway I think it's a thirst for knowledge yes right and you've got to you know want that within yourself Right. I think you can also as you said like there's formal learning opportunities yep. and there are also informal learning opportunities when it comes to like YouTube or yes. podcasts or reading yep uh, you know where you don't need to rely on the organization to enroll you yes in you know a, a formal program with maybe a formal institution yes. um but you know i guess like the, the big thing for me is people need the platform yeah right and i understand that it's very easy like what i often see with people is that you get so caught up in the day-to-day mm. you don't take that step back and i love the fact that you did the skills assessment yeah. because if you don't know where you're at
1: exactly how do
0: you move forward so absolutely. I think if there's a takeaway from what you did at your previous organization was to yes. take that pause yeah. and kind of take stock of where you're at. Because if you don't know where the gaps are, how are you going to fill them? Correct. So, so I mean, what, how do people even do that? How do they take that step back? You know, um, how do they assess where, where the gaps are? Because I think part of the problem is people don't know what skills they need.
1: Absolutely. So number one is always a reliance on leadership. And what I encountered during that process is fear. It's not really the fear of losing my job, although that played out at first. It was really fear of the unknown. As a leader, I will be exposed because my own skills are not up to where it should be. And particularly if you look at technology skills, right? The way the world of technology evolves, if you're not writing an exam every six to 12 months, your skills are actually obsolete if you haven't tested it. And we got a lot of pushback, particularly from the tech community to say, why do we need to write this exam? It's 18 hours. Like, you know, if you're doing a series of exams, it's 18 hours of sure. our time. Yeah. But what I needed to, to get was the buy-in of the EXCO team to say, what is the value in this? Because yes, you can do a Section 189, it can release you of manual, um, you know, manual processes and you move to automation, but what have you done for the people and their communities? It was pivoting the mindset around the narrative that you wanted to land. You upscale the person, you upscale the family, you upscale the community, and that's important because if you take away uh, income from a person, The family fails, but so does the community. And when you start to land the hotlines with individuals, their whole mindset starts to shift. So once you get the buy-in of the Exco, and they buy in, you can get anything done. The leadership then buys in, the people then buy in. Did we still get resistance in the end? Yeah, absolutely, because some people felt they were beyond learning. They were about to retire. That's when you do need to make some concessions and say, okay, how do we prepare you for life after retirement? What are the side hustle gigs that you can do? Um, And what insurance did really well, uh, they've embarked on how do we upskill females to do panel beating and spray painting of motor vehicles in rural areas, for example. You, You create opportunities like that to say, okay, if... A female can do it then she then provides for the family and the community so that's important Uh, from a skills assessment perspective what's interesting is when everybody got their results it was denial some people wanted to retake the test, which we allowed still denial It, it doesn't change the outcome right and I said how about change your thinking what are the things we're going to put in place for you in order for you to succeed Do you have learning agility? Do you have change agility? Spot on, right? That means you can learn. It's not beyond you to do so. But how do we make it simple for you? It's not about giving you a thick textbook and now you learn it and we mark you competent and then you can do your job. It's not about that. It's also about the people you sit around the table with. What skills are you getting? Who's imparting those skills? Are we doing skills transference where, you know, old sort of skills that, grew up in the organizations, not about a technical thing, but how do you navigate politics, for example? Where's that? Where do you learn about those things in an organization? You actually can't, right? So how are we teaching our youngsters to navigate? In big organizations, so it turned out to be a huge success, and I'd like to say that it's still going strong. And we do that for all our newcomers coming in. It's yeah, not whether they can get in the door or not, but rather how do we help you to be successful and help the organization as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's amazing. I think if I, uh, you know, if we, we have to give like listeners the opportunity to yeah. think about their own skills and maybe think about their own skill yeah. assessment, you know, what are the, without going to specifics around like you know the skill is. navigating workplace politics which is a big one yeah but like you know how do they think about okay well what are the things that i need to test myself on to future-proof myself right or to you know kind of start developing the gaps that i may not know if exist because if you don't like you don't know what you don't know so if you don't know what you're looking for from a gap perspective how are you going to fill that gap
1: correct and and i mean that's a great question and my thinking is a little different around it i don't believe that you can only ever have one career You are a typical case in point, right? You've pivoted your career. Youngsters need to start thinking about their careers differently. And in fact, they actually do, right? They choose organizations. It's not about us choosing them. And the thing I learned about the Winter School this year from the grads that came out, they're the brightest minds in South Africa. As much as we interviewed them, they interviewed us. They asked us about things like ESG, what do you do to save the planet? What opportunities do I have to uh, uplift communities? All of those things. So you've got to think of your career in a multi-pronged way, right? What, what is my passion? What do I love to do? Uh, what makes my parents proud? And what keeps that community alive? but what also builds my community as well and what saves the planet. So in those, I'm using three prongs in this example, you have to have people that you can lean on and go to. I think those that have experience in uh, that particular field, but also those that have a few years of experience, but are really growing with that particular career chain. You have to tap into your sponsors as well and that often is not somebody that you uh, formally contract with it's a sponsor that you may have met somewhere through a friend of a friend and you go how do i build those relationships i think what's lacking in our newer generations is this lack of relationship building simply because everything is online Uh, i've heard you know people now start dating online but they also break up online so we're losing these interpersonal skills at the end of the day we are human beings we're not human bots as I was saying earlier, and we hunt in packs, we work in teams, we collaborate with each other, and we must not lose the art of relationship building in order to navigate the multi pronged careers that we're going to have going forward.
0: Yeah. Look, I think, again, there's so much. Yeah, I think, like, again, if I had to summarize it, I think, you know, so much of it is the softer skills, yes. right? And I think the skills that are easily overlooked or yeah. forgotten or not developed, and people are very focused around. Going to university and what their marks are and evaluating a person based on that but you know to your point people don't operate operate in isolation you're not operating behind a screen you're operating in a broad environment and to make an environment a success it needs to be relationship driven
1: Can I give you an example of something my son said to me the other day during the holiday so they've just come out of a month-long holiday it was absolute torture having three of them at home at some point I felt my house was going to fall because of all the destruction that was happening out there but he says to me he's uh, choosing courses for next year uh, because he's going into grade 10. I want to say standard 8 in my head but that uh, will give away my age Um, and he says to me you know mom I thought about my career And I said, great, like, so what is it? Like, what do you want to do when you finish school? It's like, I don't think you're ready for it, but I want to be a fireman. I'm like, what? He's like, a fireman. I'm like, why am I sending you to private school to be a fireman? He's like, you know, I thought about it. And I just want to help people.
0: That's amazing. I just
1: really, (laughs) I just really want to do that. I just want to help people. I said, but think about it, you could have your own company that does that. And so I'm also changing the way I think. You know, if he said he wants to be a policeman, for example, you know, what am I thinking? That my son is gonna be shot, he's going to earn a medi- you know, a really mediocre salary, he's not gonna be able to live the life uh, that we are prepping him for, et cetera, he's not gonna make a difference. But their thinking is so different. He could own and open his own police station. He could have his own fleet of, uh, you know, trucks that put out fires. For example, he could have his own security or whatever. They think differently. And as parents and as Gen Xers or early-born millennials, you also need to change your thinking to start accommodating the Gen Alphas that are coming up in the world.
0: Yeah, what I love about, like... I guess your son's story is that i mean he wants to help people i mean i think as a parent that's probably the best thing that you can possibly hear absolutely and it's amazing to hear that shift of priorities around like you know wanting to and as you said he can still do all those things Mm. but the first thing that he wants to do is help people yes right the rest can fall into place but priority number one is helping people and i think that's testament to you as a parent um and yeah really amazing and i think it just shows you more broadly how gen alphas are changing from a priority perspective. Because I think, you know, like I know when I was a kid, you know, I probably didn't think that. I don't think my group of friends, I don't think they're horrible people. I just don't think that's the way we're brought up or the world that we lived in. At that point, that's what we were prioritizing. Mm. So I think it's an important point around thinking about organizations. And how are you building an organization, knowing that that's where your future talent is coming Mm. from? Mm. How are you building an organization to make sure that when those grads come through, and they interview you, Yes, that they pick you at the yeah. end of it.
1: It's important for us to be cognizant of gen alphas. We are not having conversations around them at the moment, unfortunately. We are trying to solve still for millennials uh, and the Zoomers that are coming in. What organizations need to be very cognizant of is that a one-size-fits-all approach simply does not work. And I say this all the time and I feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall. We still think that shares work, you know, locking in people by giving them shares works, but actually not. We're not thinking about uh, our Zoomers that are coming in and my kids, which are alphas and your kids as well. Uh, they are going to want to gain Uh, We're not thinking of gamification. We're not thinking of uh, NFTs on the metaverse and buying people plots on there and how they can invest and grow their virtual currency. We simply don't have, I want to say the brain power simply because we're so saturated and Uh, steeped in the way we think and the way we do things. And what's important for me from an HR practitioner perspective and all HR practitioners is to start bringing in that thinking and shape-shifting and making sure that you have unique solutions for the multi-generations that work in your organization. Yes, is it a lot of work? Absolutely. I mean, typically because you have your older Gen X's leading organizations now, they don't want to be thinking about alphas because they would have retired by the time the alpha comes in. But if I look at where I am at in my career, I have to be thinking about my alpha because my alpha is going to be in the organization at least six years from now. And I'm still going to be gainfully employed, I think. And I'd like to think that I would be. But I need to create environments for our kids where they are not compelled, compelled is the wrong word, but where they are drawn to an organization so we keep the brands alive in South Africa. Uh, and at the same time, yes, they will come up with their entrepreneurial, uh, young thinking, fintechs, uh, you know, tech companies, etc., and everything is done virtually. But these buildings that we have all over the world are really it pays homage to the type of brands we've built for communities. And that leads me on to the next part of what I want to say. It's not all about solving for your little circle or your group, it's all about solving for the community and what impact we can have on them. And just to give you um, an example of something that we had done that was born out of Curate Your Career and what many people don't do again and don't do it wisely, is because it is a lot of work to work with the CETAs and government institutions and stuff like that. But if we actually get that right, we can tap into so much of funding to uplift learning in communities. And learning doesn't have to be particularly in the sector that you work in. The investment is there. The government is asking corporates to say, we have sums of money that we'd like to give you, but you need to help people outside of your organization, right? And if you do that, we'll give you money to help the people inside the organization. So what we did and was born out of Curate Your Career was leveraged money that we got from the CETA and it was the highest amount of money that the CETA had given us at the time to upskill people in communities that uh, where we had a presence in. And what we did is we gave people on-the-job learning, yes, they had to have a matric at the time, but we brought in and gave them a plethora of skills that they could take back into their communities to start their own little businesses. But it's also not lost on me. You can't just start a business. It's hard because you have to raise capital. You've got to have employees. You've got to make sure that, you know, you have the funds going to keep this going. So for me, that was sort of an ambition and um a personal pledge to myself to say how do we keep these things going in communities because it's not all about getting jobs in corporates it's how do we help people help themselves because if they do that it just creates more jobs in communities
0: yeah so again i think the the summaries for me like first of all from an organization perspective i think you got to learn and unlearn, right? I think it's not a one-size-fits-all, it's personalized depending on who your audience is. And I think, you know, business today needs to realize that the audience is not all the same. They don't Mm. want the same things. They don't, you know, they're not incentivized by the same things and adapting your environment to account for that. If you try a one-size-fits-all approach, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, and the community work and, you know, I think the partnership with government you know, that's critical for South Africa. I think, you know, we need public par- private partnership. We Great. need to be thinking beyond yeah. our organizations. We need to be thinking about the communities that mm. we operate in to drive that impact. Yeah. So it's and amazing it's that that program is so broad.
1: Yeah. And what and what it's done, it's just grown and grown. And what's nice is I've been seeing all the graduations on LinkedIn. And if you think of a legacy or stewardship, uh, that every human should have i would say that was my legacy leaving it better than i found it yeah. and that's what make, that's what makes me happy
0: i think you know what more can you ask i think yes we you know I, I once heard this professor and i think that's exactly what they said they said that the sign of a good leader yeah. is you know the trajectory that you leave your organization with yeah you know, do you leave that organization and the trajectory is positive, yeah. or do you leave that organization and it just all falls apart because yeah. there was no infrastructure around yeah. you and it's clear that yeah. the former was your case. I think in closing, there's been so much, but I think you, know, you shared a story with me and it's a simple story, yes. but I think it summarizes two things. It summarizes the power, the power of relationships, yeah. and your point around learning from others yes. and you know networking and the benefits of that. Do, mm. do you mind sharing that sure. that, that anecdotal um, story, in class? and
1: and I love saying this story because it's um, it, the relationship that I was speaking to you about actually stemmed from a learning discussion that I had with the individual in my twenties oh, wow. when I had joined uh, the Red Bank at the time. And uh, we worked together for a couple of years after that, but I was fairly junior. Uh, She was a fairly senior talent practitioner, but we built a good relationship. And for me, I'm the type of person, I'm very extroverted, and I can resonate very easily with people. So people give me the energy. And during COVID, it was very hard for me, in fact, uh, to be at home uh, every single day and sort of be homebound. And uh, obviously, when it was time to get out into the world again, I was the person that was every day in the office talking to the walls, learning about culture from the walls. Uh, But what was interesting is, you know, at the point, I'm not a type of person that builds a relationship to get something out of it. For me, today, just meeting you, I've learned so much. Meeting Mandy, I've learned so much. Uh, And I will take away nuggets with me that will last me a lifetime. So for me, it's not about there's a relationship to get something tangible out of it. Relationships for me are just something you can tap into, uh, you build on, et cetera. And what was beautiful about that relationship was that um, I had lost contact with the individual for seven years. And we sort of uh, would see posts on LinkedIn and stuff like that and we'd go, okay, you know, she's cool, she's cool, whatever. And that's how we look at people and say, okay, they're doing well or whatever the case is. And when I was in Prague, I was busy with the Section 197 building a tech hub in Prague and I get a random call from the individual. In fact, I saw her name on my phone and I was like, should I answer that now? Mm-hmm. Is it urgent? Uh, and I decided to take it because I felt a heart pull, like a hotline. Uh, that I needed to take the conversation because just we had a great relationship. Yeah. And I answered the phone, and it was just so lovely to hear her voice. And she said, By the way, like, are you thinking about your career? Would you like to move jobs? And I was thinking about a career change. But at that point in time, I was thinking about starting my own business at that point. I wasn't thinking about going into a, another corporate. And she said to me, Why don't you come and join us? And I thought, I entertained her in all honesty because of this relationship that we had seven years prior and having not spoken to her and just remembering you know how she helped me navigate some of my uh, career hurdles at that point in time, I said, yeah, sure. Uh, let's go for it and then one thing led to another thing and I got the job and I was always so thankful to her and she said I knew we we're gonna make a difference and we still now actually we are more concerted about keeping in touch and just finding out you know how are things going she subsequently moved on from uh, my previous employer and she's opened her own uh, recruitment agency and you know that's how relationships work now I can refer people to her if she's looking for a particular skill And that's the importance that we underplay in organizations. We often think that we should associate ourselves with people that are going to take us places, that's going to grow us in this linear line because also that's the way we are programmed, that we start at the bottom and we must finish at the top. We forget to build T-shaped skills, that's depth and breadth. But also that you partner with people that can transfer those skills and that can help help you navigate uh the organization as well and those are things that i'm very concerted about building in organizations for our people coming in
0: Uh, the story summarizes it perfectly and i think it's also like an authenticity to relationship building right just being genuine in your interaction and you know not wanting it to be transactional in the short term but just building that genuine connection
1: and if you think about during COVID, all we did was build transactional relationships everything was get on a call at 10 o'clock you finish at 11 oh we didn't finish talk no but the call ends at 11 o'clock now we have to get to the next call but we didn't actually close the business we didn't uh we didn't find out how's your family how are things going what are your kids up to those water cooler conversations as much as people said it's always gossip and whatever it's so important because you build friendships which is key but you also build relationships And that's what we lost during COVID. We started to become human bots and not human beings.
0: Well, I think the perfect way to to end (laughs) off. So thanks so much for for joining us, Sangeeta. Thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. That was a great conversation. I think we covered so much, everything from learning and learning, challenging yourself, investing in yourself and holding your organization accountable to create that learning environment. Uh, making sure there are opportunities for de- development, both formal and informal. I'm a huge believer on, on the job learning and challenging yourself in your environment. And hopefully that environment is challenging and one that's forcing you to grow and develop new skills. I think for also thinking about the, the, you know, the kind of who are gonna be the employees of the future, right? Um, or the builders of the future or the entrepreneurs of the future and how are we adapting our organizational culture for them? and you know the power of relationships the power of authenticity uh, and then caring for others and caring for communities is really so so much Uh, i love the conversation really do appreciate it and thanks again to everyone Uh, that's us from pressure point
1: today